0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano, joined, as always, by the
1: BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? You know, Dan, on the one hand, I'm really excited because we have a phenomenal topic and two great guests. The only thing I'm disappointed in is that I was unable, unable to procure the services of the village people uh, to sing the hit song, San Francisco, which <laughs> is the topic of tonight's show. So you're going to have to deduct that from my next pay packet. <laughs>
0: coming out of your uh, your covid bonus yeah that's it okay well you know benny you said we got a great panel we're doing another one of our territory talk shows this time focusing on gold coast uh, san francisco um, obviously I, I introduced you in the beginning we're joined again by a friend of the show and uh, writer pro wrestling stories jim phillips jim thanks for being here
2: thank you for having me brothers
0: And we have a special guest on the line with us, Benny. Why don't you tell us who else is joining this uh, group? Yes, sir. Uh,
1: This gentleman is the co-host of the wonderful show on YouTube, Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast, from the Bay Area and San Francisco, and a gentleman that I look forward to publicly publicly debating uh, because he contends that his 2012 Giants are the greatest team of all time, and I'm going to stick with my 1927 or 1998 Yankees are the, the greatest of all time. So, one day we will resolve that debate, but in the meantime, the, here is Mr. Russell Jackman. AKA also Buddy Sotelo
3: Esquire Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the introduction. Um and you've been a guest on our show several times, so it's yes, nice sir. to 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 hang out on the other side of the the dial with you with you and and uh uh Dan and and uh, also Jim too, and and I think you were you were calling it the Gold Coast. I don't think that's the right name because that's out in Africa. I think the the, the name that you're looking for is the Barbary Coast, which is what San Francisco was known as back in the day. You know, with the uh, uh, saloons and the the uh, uh, 49ers, the original 49ers, not the football team, but the the, the prospectors and 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 uh, whatnot that we had going on over there many years ago. And it's still got its, uh, its legends. And uh, uh, I'm very glad to be representing uh, the Bay Area on today's call.
0: Fair enough. I think uh, the part of Africa is the Ivory Coast, unless I'm mistaken. But um, I'm just thinking old Navy times. We always called San Francisco Harbor. It was the Gold Bay. So that's on me. Uh, you said uh, the Barbary Coast, I like it. We're gonna get started talking about um, San Francisco wrestling, and we're gonna bounce back and forth. We got a lot of topics to cover. Benny and uh, Jim, you guys were were sharing some questions early, Um, but Mister Tello, I gotta start with you. I've traveled all over the country, uh, watching wrestling events everywhere we've got we go. Uh, There's something unique, and Benny has come up on uh, so many times on these shows. Something unique about certain arenas buildings you hear stories about madison square garden you hear stories about you know, the, 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 the here i mean obviously i live in norfolk virginia the scope and some of the moments here with the nwa uh, so i gotta ask your opinion when you were talking about west coast wrestling what is the best or or greatest arena to watch wrestling in the west coast and why is it the cow palace
3: Hmm. well i gotta be honest with you I've seen a lot of very good matches at Arco Arena uh, in Sacramento, including uh, the uh, one of the earliest Royal Rumble was held there. Um, and so, um, But I've also seen a number of matches over at the Oakland Coliseum, which was then turned into um, Oracle Arena, and then they moved that over to San Francisco. And I haven't seen anything in the uh, new arena. San Francisco So I've been to a lot of different venues But the Cow Palace is legendary For having some of the biggest names Especially when you talk Of the days of of the Roy Shire Territories And uh, uh, when you're Talking about Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens And uh, I saw a lot of AWA matches there The the very earliest Matches when you're talking like uh, uh, Pat Patterson and Ray Stevens I was a little too young to, to go to those, but, and my parents were not wrestling fans. But as soon as I was able to get myself out to go see some of the early AWA matches, we're talking the Rogue Warriors. We're talking Rick Martell as champion. We're talking, um, uh, uh a lot of, uh, the, the great talent that, you know, uh, the AWA did have at one time. That was a major, uh, focus of what the matches that were at the Cowbound.
0: Excellent, Benny. You've got a great panel here. What are you thinking?
1: Oh well, first question goes to Mr. Phillips. So I I have to commend you the the, the piece you did uh, on pro wrestling stories for Big Time Wrestling in San Francisco was an absolute delight to read, and I mean I learned quite a bit. Um, I had no idea that Roy Shire, when he you know when he took over the promotion, was actually a uh, a rogue promotion, not not part of the uh, NWA umbrella. So I want I, <clears throat> to. If you could maybe take our listeners on a on a brief historical tour of San Francisco wrestling, you know, according to your article, it starts, I think, in the '30s with a gentleman named uh, Joe Malsowitz, the uh, the Utica Panther. Um, you know, all the way to nineteen eighty one. So I want you to do that, but I, I did have a couple of quick questions that you know in in uh, doing some research, um, the there was a team called the Sharp Brothers in the early '50s. That I believe that wrestled in San Francisco. Do you know if, if one of them was related to Canada's greatest athlete,
2: Iron Mark, Mike Sharp? I do believe that may have been his father, if I'm not mistaken.
1: OK, that's what I thought, too. And then one other quick question before you get into the history. Uh, you know, before Shire became the promoter, uh, he was a wrestler for, for Mal- Um uh, Is it Malsewitz? I believe
2: yeah, I, I, I butcher the name as well so you're not alone there <laughs> the Utica I Panther
1: time. I mean I didn't know Utica had any panthers but I they, they have a pretty good beer but I guess apparently they have a panther too but um <laughs> there was there was a team of Roy and Ray Shire now was Ray Shire Ray Stevens yes okay that's what I thought I needed yep. I need to get clarification absolutely. from the expert
2: yeah that was you got that absolutely correct. Yeah, they started out wrestling together, and that's one of the reasons that Shire brought Stevens in as a mainstay in the territory once he took it over, because not only the quality of his work, but he knew the quality of the man that he could be counted on, and he did business the right way. But Mouskowitz started, yeah, he got his reputation wrestling as the Utica Panther back in the day. (laughs) when he was on the Carney circuit and wrestling for the different old school guys that ended up being the promoters that were the foundation for the National Wrestling Alliance. And he got off the road and saw the money in promoting and hooked up with those guys and saw the need for an NWA banner on the West coast where it was lacking and planted his flag and took that over and then did good money. Now, the thing about, and we had talked about this earlier. The thing about finding any old footage like that, it's almost next to impossible to find any old good footage from those early days before Shire took over. It's just uh, they didn't save stuff like that back then. Television stations and, and different things, they didn't have the, the, the capacity to save all that stuff. They just taped over it with the next week's programming. And a lot of stuff was lost to time. But... Shire went to work for Mouskowitz, as so many others did, and he worked and and saw the money that was to be made out there, and as Mouskowitz started uh, not necessarily getting lazy, because I think that's that's harsh words, but as he got older, his work ethic slowed down, he was drawing less, booking less, doing less shows, and Shire saw an opportunity to swoop in and take over. And he actually started as an outlaw promotion. So he they ran against him long enough. And Malskiewicz, I believe, was running out of the old Dreamland or Winterland auditorium. And Shire got into Cow Palace when they opened and was steady with them. Got him a television station soon after. And that's the foundations of Territorial Wrestling. A strong venue. And good weekly TV. So once he had that under his belt, it didn't take him long to squash out Mouskowitz.
1: So my understanding is that, I mean, and when people talk about legendary territories, you know, usually you hear Mid-South, you hear Memphis, you hear uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida, you might hear Big Time Wrestling. But uh, my understanding is that for a while there, for a couple of years, that Big Time Wrestling... Um, in San Francisco drew more money than any other territory. Is that correct?
2: Well, they had the population boom going right after World War II. So there was all kinds of expendable cash. It It was a good time in the nation's history for everybody. People were out spending money. And California was a destination state. So they had the population numbers to bring in those big houses. And yeah, it drew. And you got the same situation you've kind of got in Florida. You see it a little bit in Texas, but not as much. You've got that Sunshine Coast, you know, and that draws guys in.
3: Yeah, I was going to say uh, that that was one thing when you, you asked some preliminary questions, and you said one thing that attracts people to, you know, wrestling in, in San Francisco, and that is the weather. I mean, right now, as I'm talking to you, it's about uh, 65 degrees with totally sunny skies, and last week I actually went to the beach, so you know it was it was like 70 out. So there's something to be said. While well, you guys, well, not in Tampa, but but certainly I think in Virginia and if you're uh, in the Midwest and 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 certainly on the East Coast, uh, uh, you're going through some pretty tough times. Winter- wise, and the thought of hanging out in San Francisco, where you know you can actually get outside and 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 have a life on the weekends um uh, because the weather is something that is uh, a reason people pay a lot of money to live here. So
2: to a certain extent, isolation was in their favor as well because they were on the other side of the Rockies. and it was still back in those early days when. Not everyone was traveling like they are now. You weren't able to get all these different television feeds from all the different little parts of the country. So that stretch between LaBelle's in Los Angeles and Owen's in Portland right through Shire in San Francisco, that, that was a, a, the money train right there for the West Coast. You got Thank guys you. coming in and out of big time Hawaii, but for the those three cities, that was that was West Coast wrestling, man.
1: Well, the last time we had the territory uh, talk, it was about uh, CWF in Florida. And we said, what was the allure of getting wrestlers to come to Florida? And that was one of the answers was the weather. And it sounds like that might have been <clears throat> one of the allures uh, in, in, in uh, the West Coast as well. But you know, the, the, the Florida territory geographically was kind of confined. It wasn't a ton of driving. It wasn't like a mid-south. But wasn't wasn't the, the big time, the loop? wasn't it a lot bigger than a Florida, say?
2: Well, I know personally from the research that I done is the as the promotion grew, you had states like the AWA was strong all the way out here to Denver, but then you had Nevada and Idaho and These other places that were dead zones that didn't have any territories at all. So you had overlap from the the surrounding guys. And Shire pushed out into Vegas. They pushed north into Anchorage, but they didn't have the numbers to, to, you know, I mean, to make them want to go back to spend the money to, to put it up there. But yeah, they were all about trying to expand.
0: Nice. You know, um, Buddy, I have a question. Every time we have somebody on the show, Jim's talked about it. Benny and I, we always ask them about uh, where they got, where the bug bit them, where they got started. I'm going to kind of modify your question a little bit, sort of roll it into something you mentioned earlier, um, growing up and, and, and being in that area. And I was hoping you could expand on that while also kind of telling us what, one, what it was like being in that area, and two, what it was like being a wrestling fan in that area. And what was the moment? When did the bug bite you when you said, wrestling is what I'm going to love, what I'm going to do, what I'm going to watch. When, do you remember when that was?
3: Yeah, I totally do. Um, it's uh, uh, It was watching big-time wrestling with my brother, you know, and we were watching uh, uh, Peter Mavia, you know, the high chief, Peter Mavia and Pat Patterson. And they tagged up, and they were taking on, now I'm not sure, it was either the medics, or the intern. I don't remember which one. It's the, the, the mask guy. They were, they're masked and they wore white masks, but I forgot if they were the medics or the interns. But either way, they, I think they were the medics. And, and that was a wild and crazy and outrageous match that really caught my imagination. And I've always liked choreographed fighting my entire life, whether it was Batman, you know, and, and watching the early Batman show, The Kid, or or the Wild West, you know, stuff where people would be fighting, you know, the bar fights that you'd see in the Western, or or you'd, you'd have, you know, uh, the sword fights that goes on, you know, in medieval movies, whatever it was, you know, that involved combat, I was fascinated with. And when I got to see Pat Patterson and, and Maya Villa together, they were phenomenal. They were a phenomenal tag team. And and I got to tell you something, that, that Ray Stevens was the equivalent of Ric Flair to us. We looked at him and his accomplishments as champion of this area the way that New Yorkers looked at Bruno San Martino. Exactly our champion. He was our champion. He was the guy that represented us because Bruno San Martino never came out to California. I can't a handful of times. I mean, he did, but it was a handful of times versus wrestling almost every month in Madison square garden. So to be honest with you, I was a little jealous as a kid growing up that like that was always what, you know, people in New York city, could see that whenever they wanted. They could see Bruno San Martino whenever they wanted. And we were lucky to get maybe one show every two or three months. And I'm, I'm, you know, even squinting my eyes when I say that, I'm thinking it might even be like one every six months. It was not, there were not a lot of shows for the Bay Area. So when they happened, they were pretty big. And I remember in, uh, Uh, for WrestleMania one, the San Francisco civic auditorium sold out and that holds 10,000 people. And they were all packed to the rafters to see the closed circuit broadcast of WrestleMania, you know? um, uh, So we have a lot of good fans out here and we sort of get overlooked because Los Angeles is bigger. um, New York is, you know, the heart of where wrestling is the South, had, you know, Mid-South Wrestling and TBS and those studio shows. And we didn't have anything like that except for big-time wrestling, which was the Shire construct. That was really our one connection and to say this is something that's ours. And then, of course, it then morphed into the stuff that was Bay Area Wrestling with Woody Farmer. And he's the guy that I had a chance to do a lot of work with and managed his son, uh, Hawkeye, Shane Cody, uh, for, uh, in, in two different federations. So, um, uh, 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 uh so there's uh, a, a real, that, that's sort of the lineage of everything. And then the, the man who ran big time wrestling after Roy Shire, a guy by the name of Kirk White, he just died in December. So, that's also a very interesting thing. That sort of lineage, we're not sure where that goes from there or who's gonna pick it up and who's going to carry forward the big time wrestling federation from there that, that descended from uh, uh, Shire onto Kirk White. So
1: Well one of my one of my earliest childhood memories, I, I became a fan in late sixty seven, early sixty eight. You know, and of course, like, you know, I, I grew up in, in New York and like uh, like Buddy said, you know, I was a huge Bruno fan. But, uh, you know, and shortly after I became a fan, I started buying the magazines and I bought a wrestling review magazine. It had to probably be early 1968. So I'm thinking this must have happened <clears throat> in 1967 and <clears throat> kind of going along with what Buddy said about Ray Stevens, you know, Bruno uh, San Martino in this article. Actually traveled out to San Francisco, and wrestled Ray Stevens for the WWF title. Two out of three fall match, and <clears throat> I believe uh, Bruno won one fall with a bear hug. But Ray Ray Stevens actually pinned Bruno with the bombs away right in the middle of the ring. So they were even, and I think somehow Bruno got—I don't know if it was a you know low blow, whatever—but Bruno got counted out in the third fall. And you know, in the, in the magazine's eyes. It was kind of very iffy if, you know, Bruno – did Bruno really lose his title because he lost a match and he also lost a fall. And my point of all of this is that, you know, when we were – we had Shane Russell here uh, a while back and we were talking about Memphis and how the fact that Andy Kaufman, of all the territories, chose Memphis to put on his his act. And for me, in my opinion, now in retrospect, for Bruno to have gone at the San Francisco – because. He didn't do this very often, like like Buddy said. For him to go out to San Francisco and and put Ray Stevens over, um, to me speaks volumes about both the territory and and Ray Stevens. So I wanted to get your comments about that.
3: I think that's incredible, and it is. It does show how much that meant. I mean, you know, and again, we had some great talent come in here, uh, from from uh not just Ray Stevens. His level of wrestling though made it legit enough to bring in talents like Pat Patterson and uh Peter Mavia and then we had Rocky Johnson and and we had um uh, uh we had a, a lot of Butcher Vashon was here for a while because, again, a lot of the guys would either come up from L.A. or down from Portland and out from Japan. Uh, the, uh, Toru Tanaka was a, a, a frequent um, uh, a, a visitor, you know, and and a part of the Shire stuff. Um, and I actually had a chance to meet him once. It uh, was uh, built like an and, ice cream truck. He really was. He, he When he sits in, uh, when he sat down, he took up two seats. You know, they 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 had to lift up the armrests so he could take up both 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 seats. Um, but a very nice and reserved gentleman. I mean, he 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 was uh, uh, very quiet. You know, you had to really get stuff out of him because he didn't really want to. Want to talk, but he enjoyed the matches that he was at. So for, so that uh, for was,
2: people for people listening who may not realize, Professor Toru Tanaka was Odd Job in the James Bond movies.
1: Yes, yes. Was also, and, also Francis's bodyguard in Pee Wee's Big Adventure.
3: <laughs> I just watched with my daughter. I just watched that with my daughter about a week ago, but. Uh, Uh, So, you know, it's it's connection. Being in California means, you know, Hollywood isn't that far away when you're in San Francisco. I mean, you don't want to drive it every day, but it is something that wrestlers sort of look to as a stepping stone when they want to get acting done. You know, you can't you can't always, you know, be an actor all the time. So, you know, there's shows to be done. And, and places to work here in California. And then you'd probably a lot of guys would then go up to Portland, you know, and just kind of do a running circle. Uh, And then maybe out to Idaho or Vegas, you know, or, or Denver, some of the other Western territories as as Jim was saying.
2: Back to what we were talking about with Sam Martino for a short time during his career, he was also used a bit like Andre with, uh, Old McMahon, Vince, Vince Sr., would send him out on these junkets to te- to booster, bolster these territories up and give him a boost. That was one of the reasons he would have come out there and done something like that with that belt. And it being the distance, too, played in that favor. They're not, the New York fan base isn't really going to hear about, oh, yeah, last week Bruno lost the belt, you know what I mean, in a contentious match to Ray Stevens. They just weren't going to hear about that. So, He did a couple of different runs like that to Japan and different places with that WWWF title just as a a way to draw money and put other promotions over with the the cachet of his name. Right. Yeah, but
3: I was also going to say the majority of stuff that I was watching when I was growing up, uh, when it was live, it was the AWA matches. There really weren't as many uh, big time wrestling matches going on at that stage because I think at that point uh, BTW the Shire version had folded. So the AWA was more what was going on in the Bay Area in that early '80s time, which is kind of when I got back into wrestling. You know, it, for a while it was off TV. I'd say for about a good two or three years, there was no wrestling on at all. And then um, uh, getting back to, to, to what uh, Danny was talking about is that I lived in, in Tiburon, which is um, in Marin County, just outside of San Francisco. And we have a lot of hills. So I was mentioning that to, to Benny. And so we didn't get very good air reception. So uh, uh, we were one of the first families to get cable television in the early 80s. And so one of the things we got was TBS. And one of the things we got was Mid-South Wrestling. And that blew me away. When I tuned back in, you know, after several years of not watching any wrestling and watched Mid-South, I was just, I was like, wow, well, this is some prime, amazing stuff. I mean, we're talking, you know, Rick Flair and his prime and Dusty Rhodes and his prime. And I mean, we're talking, you know, probably like around 1983, 1984, when all this stuff was happening. Yeah,
2: admit, and uh, then Magnum uh, TA,
1: Mr. Wrestling too. The...
3: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Magnum TA. I was why well, he, you know, such a amazing talent. I watched all his early matches and, Terry Taylor and and Jake the Snake Robert, you know, before he carried the snake to the ring and and a whole lot of Kevin Sullivan, you know, in his prime that, you know, that was when Kevin Sullivan had his whole crazy entourage with uh, the uh, Fallen Angel and uh, uh, Purple Haze. And, and it just blew me away, what was going on with the, 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 the promotion there and how wild and over the top everything was as far as the in-ring action went, really made me just fall in love with pro wrestling. And I, I, I started up a, uh, I actually wrote a pro wrestling game in high school. I like that you do with dice and everything. It was actually a lot of fun. A lot of my friends (laughs) played it. And then, um, uh, in college, uh, when I went to college, uh, they had this thing called the, the college radio show had a break in between, uh, 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 two different hosts. So I came in and I did a wrestling review for them in college and so uh, and that, from there, I, I I found out about All Pro Wrestling because they needed an attorney to help out with some stuff. I saw them on a late-night news program, and I volu- I said, look, if you'll teach me how to be a manager, I'll do some legal work for you, do some contracts for you. And that's how I got started in 2000 um, as Buddy Sotelo Esquire for All Pro Wrestling, and and through there, you know, I, I, that indie scene in the early 2000s, I really think there should be a dark side of the ring uh, 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 thing about it because there's some amazing stuff that went on during that time period. And I think the story of Roland Alexander and now that the story is over with Kirk White would make a very intriguing you know, dark side of the ring is you know there, there's some just a lot of weird stuff that happened around here, and it, it would be it would be something that I think in the end a lot of people throughout the United States would be fascinated to hear what went on in the early 2000s in in, in the pro wrestling scene out here.
0: You know, Benny pulled back the curtain a little bit. Doing the intro on you there, buddy. Um, but I got to know you were just telling us the story, obviously of how uh, you 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 quid pro quoed yourself into the business. I'm curious where the name Buddy Satello comes from.
3: That's great. I love it. Um, first of all, it's always been said that if you need to come up with a a fictitious name, you think of the first pet that you ever had. And then you also think of the first street you remember growing up on. And I grew up on Sotelo Avenue in San Francisco. And, I, and my first pet was a bird named Buddy, a cockatiel named Buddy. And so that is how Buddy Sotelo Esquire came about. And, you know, I was at the time, at the time in the early 2000s, that whole mafia thing was super popular, you know, and so people, people had always thought when I wasn't, you know, a Jew from San Francisco, they thought I was an Italian from New York. So so, so
0: you're, you're saying you kind of incorporated a little bit of the soprano popularity into the Buddy Satello character.
3: Absolutely. You know, and the, the uh, Godfather and, and Casino and and all that stuff. And and the best part about Buddy Sotelo is that he they, I am an attorney in real life. I I, I have been since the uh, early 90s, but I take everything that I can't stand about the attorneys that I know and I pour it into the Buddy Sotelo character and people hate him. I mean, absolutely hate Buddy Sotelo. So I mean, you know, now now that I I I'm not managing anymore, and I'm just doing interviews, it's not the same thing. But as a a pro wrestling manager, you know, I I I really took a lot from the uh, cues of Andy Kaufman, who was just mentioned a few minutes ago, and and I really felt like he understood wrestling managerial psychology as well as anyone that i think other than maybe like you know some of the true greats like bobby Heenan and and the grand wizard and lou albano and 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 so forth you know the the, the guys who are you know jimmy hart uh, uh yeah i could go on but but uh, Carnett. you know uh, guys who just really got it you know, Heyman, uh who really just the the, the the idea of how you get yourself over by getting your talent over is a lost art. Yeah, Gary Hart. Oh yes, absolutely sir. Gary Hart. Absolutely. Yes. I mean the, and she got non and, and 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 uh you know I'm I'm such, the all those guys influenced me so much. I never wanted to be a wrestler. You know, I mean, I never grew up saying, oh, I'm going to be a wrestler, but I did as a kid say, God, I'd love to do managerial stuff. I'd love to be a manager and get some big guy to do all the hard work for me. You know, I'd love to, to, you know, have somebody else carry a match for 10, 15 minutes. Although I took a lot of high spots. I will say that too, and I'm I'm pour, drowning poor Jim out of here. He's probably like going to have a you know a, a cigarette or something like that. You, yeah. I, a cigarette. I, I, <laughs> I, I I don't mean to to eat up your your side of the show, oh, Jim. Man. You're
2: so. good. I'm enjoying listening to it too. It's interesting to hear, you know, and I agree with everything you're saying.
3: But it, it's well, it's now twenty years since all that stuff happened. So it, it used to not be history. It's one thing when your life actually starts becoming history that you like go, Whoa, oh my god, I've actually done something that people care about. You know? You chase um, the dream uh,
2: though. You chase the dream and that's what matters. Absolutely. Oh,
3: it's the total bucket list thing. It's the total bucket list thing where you just say, I could have lived my life wondering if I'd ever done something like this. And, you know, I did it. So now I can always talk to people about it. And it's a weird community of the people that did stuff and, and you know, that, that have wrestled and, and have managed and have, you know, uh, ring announced and all that stuff. And, and I got my brother. My brother was my Bob Zamuda when I started out. I was, <laughs> I, if, if you get that reference. Oh, absolutely. Was,
0: yeah,
3: oh, yeah. He was the plant in the crowd. <laughs> that would tell me if I was doing well or not, you know, in a particular show, He, w- I would come back to him and he would like say, oh, yeah, no, you didn't get over with these people. You didn't get over with those folks. And then I would do routines with him where I would bother, where I specifically bug my brother, you know, and he would just, no one knew that we were brother, brothers. They just, you know, it's like the Randy Poffo and, 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 and Lenny Poffo thing. You know, they never, what? alluded that they were brothers in the WWF, you know? And, and so w- my brother and I would never, we would pretend we weren't actually brothers. And so I would go and hassle the hell out of my brother at ringside and people were like, why are you so mean to this guy? Why are you so awful to him? But I I was just, you know, he, it was a total inside Joke, and we would actually say things to each other that were like lines from movies and, and so forth. Nice. You know, uh, that, that, that we knew were jokes, but the audience had no idea that they were jokes. And we would laugh about it for just hours on the drive back and 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 stuff like that. So it was really a lot of fun. And then um, when we moved on from all pro wrestling to pro wrestling iron, I got my brother a gig as the announcer, the ring announcer. And he was really good as uh, as as a ring announcer. So then we had that going between me and my brother because my parents didn't like wrestling at all. And I found out only through my great grandmother um, was actually the true wrestling fan. She was the one that liked. but I never, we never knew about she was alive. But she apparently would go to all the shows. She would whack the wrestlers with her purse in the Cow Palace, she, and people. She was one of the old,
2: one of the old ladies beating up the man. Yes. Was, huh?
3: Yes. And and the Russian Every arena needed one.
2: Every arena needed at least Absolutely. one. Yes, yes, sir. Man. Yeah,
3: she Wait, was the know. one in the cow <laughs> palace. She was the one in the cow palace. They knew her. They would come out and actually sign autographs for her or, you know, in the case they you know times they would, you know, shy away from her in her purse. But yeah, my granny Jelney was, was well known at the cow palace for Going to the shows and, and being one of the purse whacking old ladies that, that, that. So, that's I a little saw, bit of history,
2: I so. saw whenever I was younger, I saw Dick Murdoch and an old lady go back and forth at the middle school where I grew up. It was quite funny. They were oh, wrestling. I think they're wrestling for USWA going through. But yeah, it was it was it was really funny. Murdoch milked it really well. It was good. So
1: uh, now, now that uh, that that buddy threw out the Bob Zemuda reference, I'm going to ask him maybe on a different show to uh, he has to sing uh, "I Will Survive" with the uh, Tony Clifton voice. Um, oh, I
2: could
3: do that. You, is he, are you like daring me? Is this like something you're saying? Because you'll be sorry. You'll be sorry, Pee Wee.
1: I, I bet you. I bet you do do that. Great. So this next question is is, is to Jim. So uh, you know my my theory is in order to have a great promotion you need to have a great announcer so reference you know CWA with Gordon Soli reference uh Memphis with uh, Lance Russell you, you know even WWF I think McMahon Vince McMahon and and like Rocka or Bruno they weren't bad but I didn't even I didn't know who was the announcer for San Francisco for big time but then I did a little bit of research and I was Absolutely amazed and, and b- delighted because I found out that it was Walt Harris. Yeah. And I grew up, in fact, I did a story for Pro Wrestling Stories about the roller derby because the the only sport that I ever saw at Madison Square Garden was the roller derby. And I grew up watching, you know, for years on Saturday mornings, watching the roller derby. and And Walt Harris was the narrator for roller derby. But apparently he was also the narrator for... For big time wrestling. So, if you could tell me a little bit about him that I don't know from watching roller derby.
2: Well, in your in the later years of big time wrestling, he came on and started doing the announcing and the, the most of the interviews and stuff like that. Um, he was in sports background. I believe Bill Welsh was the one that did it before he came on, but Walt was. He just had that look. Those all those old school announcers. They had that look, like Boyd Pierce out of Mid South with the jackets, and yes. Walt had Walt Harris. God bless him. He had one of the worst toupees ever in in mm. the sports. Big old, big old in the front. It was. <laughs> but mm. if you look up a lot of big time wrestling, what you're going to find is those later years because of what I mentioned earlier, because they just didn't keep the video, and you'll see Walt Harris doing the majority of those interviews. And yeah, he he was good, and he, he brought a lot to the table, like you say, not just in the wrestling. A lot of those old announcers were that way. They were famous for outside of the wrestling world. They had pre-established themselves, you know? So they were the go-to guys. But I really don't know a lot about Walt Harris's personal stuff before he got into the business, but I know that he was synonymous with that big-time wrestling interview later in the day, especially with the Piper and Moondog Maine feud that they had out there some of the interviews that you'll see with Walt harris interviewing roddy piper and i'm not putting any i'm not putting anything on the man but we all know piper liked to party and you can just tell in those videos man he's just he's got that robin williams just frenetic energy we'll call it <laughs> of of the times you know and like Walt harris he was so good at, at navigating piper and all his craziness you know it was yeah, it was good stuff to watch.
0: It was good stuff to watch. Nice. <laughs> That's too funny. You, 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 know, you, you were talking about Jim. I, I wanted you to expand on something real quick. You were talking about stuff to watch. We, we, we touched on um, earlier the the San Francisco and the territories and the changing of the territories. NWA San Francisco. What exactly did that encompass in the article you wrote? It almost sounded like it went as far north as parts of Alaska.
2: Yeah, whenever Moscow, whenever Moskowitz had the NWA, it was mostly just in that local area. But as Shire took over, Shire had heat from the NWA guys because they didn't want they didn't want him to take over the NWA brand because he ran outlaw opposition against them. You know what I mean? So they still some of those guys still had a lot of heat with Shire. But when he took over. He wanted to expand the brand out as much as he could and get that money. And they did do, it wasn't a regular route that they were going to Alaska on a regular basis, but they tried running shows up there and they couldn't get the attendance to bring in the money to make them want to go back. But he absolutely moved his market over to Las Vegas and 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 more out into the Oakland you know, I mean Sacramento, San Francisco. He really expanded into that area a lot more. He was about that that dollar. He was trying so, to get as many shows as he could.
0: So Shire was he was he was affiliated with the NWA, but it was more like kind of a rogue alliance versus him being a dedicated member.
2: He started out running against the NWA as an outlaw promotion, much like the PAFOs and ICW did whenever they were going against uh, Memphis, right? They were, they was. It's kind of a similar situation. But Shire had worked for the NWA under Moskowitz, and whenever he broke away and started his own independent, you know I mean, rogue thing, he eventually got the numbers, and he got into the Cow Palace right after that building was built, and Moskowitz was still running the old winterland, and when he got into the new arena and the new facility, he was able to draw better crowds to a nicer building, and really... The Cow Palace is only about 25% in San Francisco. It's mostly in uh, another... I can't think of the name of the town off the top of my head. Daily Daily
3: City. Daily Daily City.
2: There you go. Daily City. So, like, whenever he came back into the NWA, the NWA realized, look, Moskowitz is our guy, but we're not making any money with this guy. And they were about making the money, too. So, eventually they swallowed the bitter pill and brought Shire back into the fold to where he could have that NWA banner and they could get a piece of that pie that he was out there circulating. But okay. I think he even served as vice president for a couple of years in the in, in the national wrestling Alliance in the seventies. But I know the old school guys like Muchnick and the old guard from the original crew. I know they had, they had a lot of bitter feelings toward Shire and what he tried to do to those guys. Cause They looked at any outlaw promotion as just that. You know what I mean? They're trying to to take away from us. However, however,
3: However, I would say this, is that Shire's legacy is actually one that's very positive here in the Bay Area. He's thought of as like one of the pioneers and one of the guys that really made wrestling what it is. And the Shire promotion is looked upon, you know, very positively, historically here in the Bay Area.
2: It was one of the foundational promotions for California wrestling without a doubt he surpassed anything moscowitz did hands down with stevens alone
0: speaking of the uh you know, you, you the merger with the nwa in later times I, i'm curious if something benny mentioned uh before the show it, with <clears throat> excuse me what was the the, the title the the actual Gold of the N.W.A. I mean, how often was, would you see the N.W.A. title up for grabs at the Cal Palace or in the territory? Never. I, mean, you have to,
3: never. I mean, not not in my lifetime. When I was growing up, it was all A.W.A. matches. Those were the you you did not see. Uh, Ric Flair never came out here. We never had uh, Dusty Rhodes or Harley Race come out here and defend the title. Not the not in the time that I was growing up. Well, I, it was if, all AWA stuff.
0: If we can, I, I guess just expand a, a little bit then. Um, some of the other big names of the NWA throughout the that, that era, be it uh, Konitsky, um the Briscoes, Harley Race, uh, Dory Funk. Th- did any of the other big names from the NWA come through, even if it wasn't for the t- title match? Just maybe, hey, look, you know, NWA legend coming to the show, or was it all AWA and local San Francisco talent?
3: From what I remember, it was all AWA and you had WWF shows go on at the Oakland Coliseum. So it was sort of like those were the two main rivalries. But I I really don't ever remember. I think Harley Race had fought maybe some stuff, but I think it was under the AWA banner. I think, or you know, it was it was a show that was, you know, just sort of independently promoted by Shire. And he didn't bring up or, you know, people weren't really into the federations back then so much, you know, back then it was like, there was wrestling and people were like, Oh, great. We'll go. So it's, it wasn't really like, Oh, well, we'll go see the people didn't get like the different federations back then. I know it sounds hard to believe, you know, and keep in mind, I was, much younger back then. so I maybe part of it was my own perception. but I didn't think people cared that much about like whether it was an NWA talent that was coming in or WWF talent that comes in and and what banner they're f- fighting under, you know, whether it was WF or whether it was uh, uh, Pacific Pro wrestling because we also had um, some Polynesian Pro, you know, uh, also do some shows out here. Uh, that was uh, Maya Villa's, uh, uh, grand, uh, uh, The Rock's grandmother, you know, did some shows out now, here as well.
2: Whenever you say AWA, buddy, are you talking about Vern Gagne's AWA? Because big time, yeah. for a while, big time wrestling went under a- the AWA. They were the American Wrestling Alliance out there for a while. <laughs> And yeah, no, that's uh, that's what I'm
3: talking was... about.
2: Okay, yeah, Gany- no,
3: what you're talking about is kind of what I'm talking about, which is that, yeah, it was Ganya's AWA, but you saw talent that would normally be what you would consider NWA talent. It would sometimes show up there as well, you know, like Harley Race, like uh, uh, I'm trying to think of like other guys that would come out that, um, you know, uh, I'm, I think, Maybe we saw, like, the Rock and Roll Express came out once. Um, uh, You know, it was, again, it was not a frequent sort of thing. Normally, it was really standard AWA matches. You know, Vern Gagne, you know, produced stuff. And not so much Kirk, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Roy Shire doing that much. You know, um, uh, again, you you did sometimes see stuff under the Bay Area wrestling. Uh, banner, which was Woody Farmer produced stuff, and that had more of the Shire, you know, uh, 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 legacy going on with it.
2: Yeah, I know. With uh, with so many different territories back in those days, they all some of them used the same monikers. So I know whenever people hear the AWA, they automatically link back to Ganya. But they, the American Wrestling Alliance from big time was. Shire's little piece of the pie pre-NWA. Correct. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that people weren't getting confused on that because they had the NWA U.S. heavyweight title there as their main gold belt underneath the NWA world title, and that was originally the AWA U.S. championship. So that changed over to the NWA U.S. title San Francisco version. A lot of the different territories had their own U.S. title for the version of the state that they may have been in, and then that was like their main guy. That was like their main champion. And then every once in a while, if the NWA champ did come through the area they would almost always be the one to get the shot at a match or whatever or have some interaction whether if they were heel face it would be against each other if it was two faces it were two heels they would tag it just all depended on the scenario how they would work it out but almost every uh territorial association had one of those u.s heavyweight titles the same way with the tag they had the world tag team champions same thing what what
1: caused them because they you know compared to other territories you know and and while they were good they were very good but they pretty much they had maybe a 20 year run and they kind of checked out even before Vince McMahon bought the WWF from his father and before Ganya actually invaded it what what caused them to you know run their course i guess it was you know pretty much right around 1980
2: <coughs> shire's heart problems Shire, yeah. shire's health issues got to the point that he wasn't able to maintain good drawing events and good drawing shows and at this same time you've got Ganya trying to expand out ahead of mcmahon and you've also got mcmahon looking nationwide everywhere at every animal in the herd that's got a limp you know what i mean mcmahon's <laughs> looking to take a bite that's so a he sees that he sees that san francisco's floundering and both those guys are the. You know what I mean, the vultures start to circle. It's the, it's the death knells of the territories nationwide, my brother. That's just how it went. Whether it be poor health of the owner, lack of sales, the squabbles amongst the hierarchy of ownership, and everybody starts selling things off in piecemeal, one way or the other, man. The vultures come out of New York.
3: Yeah, but let's also explain something culturally. That was going on around here in 1980 and the late 70s. Okay. Wrestling was at its all time low as far as viewership goes. People really weren't into wrestling that much, including myself. I pretty much didn't follow wrestling in that time period because it wasn't on TV. So, so it's kind of like uh, it is today then. Ah, except that uh, back then, you had to really work to find Cycles. wrestling. You know, like, you know, and, and really, if it wasn't Lucha, you know, on, on, you know, t- try W, uh, triple A wrestling, you know, on the Spanish channel, you know, you really weren't going to see a lot of wrestling during that time period, The late seventies wrestling was not seen as a cool thing. I mean, until cable started coming back into homes, you know, you had the, the rock and wrestling connection which really MTV getting involved in it, that really got people who were, and then WrestleMania, that wasn't, I mean, for that stretch between the very late seventies and that early eighties time, people just didn't like wrestling overall. It was just not a cool thing to, to, to be into. And so I wasn't really that into it until it started coming back on TV. They, they, they had this, uh, uh, do you guys remember Wally George at all? Yeah. He was more of a West Coast phenomenon, I guess, than a than an East Coast phenomenon. But he was a, a guy that was one of the early like Johnny uh, 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 Junior type types, or or or, or that's really being myself. Like the, um, the 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 Jerry Springer, not,
0: yeah, the 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 confrontational talk show.
3: Yes, yes, and, and he had uh, a guy from the Anti-Defamation League on there at the same time the Ku Klux Klan Wizard was on, and they started throwing chairs at each other. It was, you know, so that was the lead-in to wrestling. And so the Wally George show was so popular. People would start watching that, and they would then get all fired up, and then they'd watch, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, give somebody the big boot, and then the leg drop. And I mean, we would all just go nuts over that, you know, and that, that really got people, I mean, and, and again, in that early time with Ronald Reagan, people started getting more into the super patriotic thing, you know, and, and became more tuned in to, you know, Americana, the way Vince McMahon was selling it through wrestling. And that is what made wrestling popular for me in high school. And instead of being just some kind of outcast that liked some freaky sport like wrestling, you know, people were like, Oh, Hey, well, we heard about it on TV. Yeah. We heard about it in the news. Yeah. You know, Muhammad Ali was at the uh, first WrestleMania, you know, like that, a lot of people started, started, you know, getting more interested in it. And, you know, that's again, the sort of thing that led me to, to make a, a wrestling uh role-playing game that that you know kind of launched my career as as a true wrestling fan, you know, uh, and above the, the 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 level wrestling fan like I am now. So
2: I could definitely see the political background of nineteen eighty California overshadowing anything else that was going on at the time. You know what I mean? G- growing up as a young kid, even Ronald Reagan was a big deal. You know, what I mean, I can only imagine being out there. And that being ground central for all that shit, I can only imagine that it was a it did overshadow everything else.
0: Well, at the at the risk of maybe getting a little uh, overly political, it, obviously it, territories are always you just mentioned, Jim. You hit it on the head. Nineteen eighties California was such a unique atmosphere in, in American history. I, I'm curious, was there the territory is inspired by the news. Did you have gimmicks or or maybe um be it gimmick matches or gimmick wrestlers that might have been inspired by something that was prominent? It be it the uh the, the rise of the, the, the gay culture or uh the the Sanford, like you said, the 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 Reagan America, uh, that was that 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 um oomph in nineteen eighties California did the san francisco territory adapt to any of that or was it just kind of business as usual on the
2: wrestling side you talking to buddy because he would have more he would be better. yeah i yeah
3: I, I remember the love Brothers doing a hippie gimmick and that would generate you know first as faces and then as heels and his heels they got over tremendously and i also remember um that they, you know, Baron von Raschke used to really, you know, pump up the, uh, when he was a heel, he used to really do the, the, the bad Nazi type, you know, uh, 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 you know, he would really, uh, uh, borrow into like the Hogan's heroes, you know, bad German Nazi thing, you know, because we weren't that far away from it at that point, you know, from when World War Two. It happened. It wasn't the, the kind of thing where it like you show a Nazi flag or something like that now and you'll you'll create a riot. Back yeah. then, you know, you could do Nazis, but you could do them if you're going to make fun of them. So, that. you know. I know yeah, Shire so that,
2: used to do a, a yearly battle royal. Did you ever get to see any of those? That was like uh, a good deal for them.
3: Again, my parents were not wrestling fans. So um, they wouldn't take me to go, and they didn't show those on TV. That was another thing, is that Shire had one thing that he was great for, and that was showing terrible matches. He just showed awful, awful matches, and he wouldn't show anything that was good unless you went to see the events live. So that was his, you know, because he wasn't making that much money relatively off of television. And back then, it was like the reversal of what it is now. You made more money from the gate than you made from TV. And now, you know, you make much more on TV than you do from the gate. And and so, you know, he wanted to get people to come. So the matches would usually just be, as I remember them, just really horrible squash matches most of the time. And, you know, they would uh, still we couldn't get enough of it. And when they did show something like the the, like um, Peter Maivia and Pat Patterson tag teaming together, it made us go over the top. We were like, you know, we would, you know, make sure that, you know, we would be sitting in front of our TV, make sure that the the eight minutes that took for our old TV to warm up. Yeah. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. You know, and and, and make, make sure, dude, sure
2: days, yes,
3: yeah, make sure the aerial was pointed in the right direction, and you know maybe we'd have to hold it for a little bit to make sure that the the the, the vertical hold didn't just start flipping up, and 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 and, and you know getting all the getting all the static. Yes, our kids will never know. My kids will never know the the true agony of of <laughs> what we had to go through for stuff like that. And no remote control, kids. We were the remote control. In fact, that was that was what we would usually do is we would beat each other up in the commercials and my brother and I would try wrestling moves on each other, you know, that we saw. Of course, they never that was before they used to do the don't try this at home stuff. And so, you know, the next so did thing try you know
2: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, you we didn't did that out that. that you didn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah your parents let you it's like yeah he'll do that once and not again <laughs> so buddy what was what was your finisher back in
1: the day then to your brother
3: uh boston crab yeah and my brother my brother did the sleeper on me he would just okay. like you know choke me out with the sleeper so, so who, was, who was, yeah, older? was uh my brother's a year and five days older than i okay am.
0: okay
3: We're, He's were you bigger. Being, he is.
0: Were you the heel back then, too, wait till your brother gets distracted and then hit him with a roll-up?
3: I had to use my speed and agility to get away from him. My brother still has a lot of brute force. I mean, he, he's a strong guy. He doesn't look, like, super strong, but he, he carries with him some pretty good hats. So, I mean, uh, for raw power, he could just overpower me, and he would do the Andre the Giant, giant splash on me, and that would usually be the end of all of it. He would just put all his weight on me and and squash me flat. So I was known as Russell the Rabbit, so I would like run around and exhaust him and usually rope-a-dope him so he would be too tired. And then I would do some kind of, you know, grab his foot or, or grab his arm and, and do some kind of arm lock. But that that's one thing, because I really learned the wrestling my brother. But I also learned by wrestling a lot about how the human body moves and the kinetics of, of movement. And there's a lot you can learn about a fighting style, not that you'd ever use wrestling in a you know, pro wrestling as it is, you know, you wouldn't do a Canadian destroyer to somebody, you know, you need their help to do it. But there's still a lot about the way the body moves itself. I, I studied jujitsu for five years before I ever got in the ring. And I had a, uh, I, I, I was working to achieve a brown belt. So I got a wrist injury and I had to stop. But uh, uh, it was, uh, there's a lot about knowing how to fall and being part of that physics. Of falling and not getting hurt or not getting hurt badly, that to me I find tremendously fascinating. It's 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 the the and and so that helped get me into wrestling. And it's the kind, I think one of the things that attracts a lot of people to to wrestling itself is those kind of that kinetic performance that you get to do, and you get to do it in the guise of of combat is really fantastic, and and it's one of the things I love about it
0: love it Benny, we we hit another great territory tonight Absolutely. and we uh I mean how much it seems every week doesn't it every week we say we talk for an hour and I feel like we've barely scratched
1: the surface of what we could get into I still want to hear buddy so tell us sing I will survive though
3: <laughs> I will survive <laughs> I will survive.
1: You got to, you got to sing the beginning though. With the Tony Clifton oh. style.
3: Once I was alone, I was petrified. No, actually, it
1: was Tony Clifton. It was, it was. At first, I was alone. I was putrefied. It's putrefied. So.
3: Yes. You see, yeah. If I keep going on, you, but what few listeners you still have are going to vote for <laughs> the, they're going to ask for their money back. They're going to ask for their money back. But. It's been great, guys. I really appreciate this. I also wanted to give a shout-out or a 10-bell a, a ten, ten count for uh, Aaron Boom Boom Kamini, who I found out died yesterday, and he was a man that I managed, as Sheik Ali Boom Boom, uh, in the early 2000s. And uh, uh, it's really a sad passing for him to have gone, and we all know too many wrestlers these days who – uh, aren't with us, and and uh, it's just another tough passing.
1: Unfortunately, March that Atlanta. list keeps growing and growing. It's just so sad. It is it grow, growing too too damn fast.
0: Yes, sir. That's
3: for yes, sure. sir. Agreed. Well, Agreed.
0: Well, buddy, Agreed. you're uh, you, you buddy, Sotelo Esquire. You work. You team with Evan Ginsburg. The show is wrestling and everything coast to coast.
3: Uh, yeah, damn Why don't we get you on the show? Why? Uh, how come we don't have you on the show at one? For one. you know, I can put every, you on the spotlight.
0: Every time Benny talks about hey, b- b- being on the show, he always makes sure it's when I'm busy. I, I don't know. I think he's trying to hamstring.
2: He wants the
3: spotlight all to himself.
0: But no, I, 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 I'm a big fan of you guys. If you'd, uh, you'd have me. I'd be some. Uh, sounds like fun.
3: It would be great to have you on the show. And Jim, you're welcome on the show as well too. So love to have you.
2: I always enjoy being on the show and talking with you and Evan. It's always a good time. And these guys as well. its I got to say, the, the little podcast group that I'm affiliated with, they're all great guys. Love the business. They're doing the right things by the business. I'm happy to be a part of it.
0: I appreciate that. And, of course, Jim Phillips, you, your work can be found on ProWrestlingStories.com. Great, great stuff. Benny mentioned the article uh, you wrote. You've got a lot of good stuff out there. What's uh What's next on the horizon for you?
2: Well, these are the the articles. The pro wrestling series or the territory series is something that's being re released about once a month. Uh, it's a series that I did a few years ago, and they go about fifteen or twenty deep. And just the WWF alone was, I think, seventeen parts. So. There's a long road ahead as far as the territories being re-released, and JP over at Pro Wrestling Stories does such a good job of of putting the art together. And he puts those those banners that shows all the old wrestlers. He does all that himself. That's not that's not something he just goes out and copy pastes. He does all that, and he puts a lot of hard work into it. And I'm very very appreciative of everything he does. But yeah, we're just looking to to bring keep the history of the wrestling business alive, and maybe open the eyes and ears of some of these young kids that didn't know anything before 1998.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, to tell them that wrestling existed before the Attitude Era, right? Right. Well, like I said, uh, wrestling coast to coast. Jim, your your work on Pro Wrestling Stories and uh, great stuff out there. Check them out. Buddy Sotelo Esquire, Jim Phillips, of course, joining me as always, Benny Scala, the BS Express himself. I'm Dan Spastiano. Have a great night, everyone. And uh, we will see you next time we're in the ring. Adios,
3: everyone. Peace, Mark.